I think the second time through, Mark just felt like, you know, I got to do it this time and I got to do what I got to do. And he said, I have to change everything. And he told me that many times. He said, the only thing I got to change is everything. And he put his mind to it. And now he's where he's at. And I'm so thankful. This is Casting Light, a podcast series from Guiding Light, focusing on stories of recovery and hope that happen right here inside Guiding Light in Grand Rapids, Michigan. You can learn more about the amazing men and staff and the stories of recovery at guidinglightworks.org. And of course, make sure if you are enjoying the podcast series, this podcast, Casting Light, Leave us a comment or two. We'd love to have your feedback. And please, if you're enjoying our podcast series, tell a friend. We would truly appreciate it. My name is Phil Tower. It's my honor and pleasure to welcome another guest to this series, Casting Light. Barb Kennedy is the mother of a former Guiding Light Recovery client and a previous guest, previous guest on this podcast series. Mark was our guest in episode four of Casting Light, and I really enjoyed talking with him, hearing his story of recovery. It was heartfelt and passionate, and I know you will enjoy hearing it as well. And what an honor it is to now spend some time with Mark's mom, Barb Kennedy, as we hear Mark's story from the perspective of a parent. First of all, thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me. This has to have been well as a parent and as a mom um, we as parents struggle with all kinds of things and you know I have friends Barb who have never had children and there are days I tell them you know what you're probably good that you didn't have (laughs) kids yeah and there are other days I tell them there is no way to describe the amount of joy that having kids and the and the sharing of life's experiences with your children can bring even in the difficult times and and every parent listening to you and I have this conversation right now has had different difficult times with the kids I think it's just a part of raising kids but you have had a story with Mark that I'm so grateful that you're going to share with our listeners Um, first of all Mark has gone through the recovery program here and Praise God is over two years sober, which has just got to put a smile on your face every oh, time. Oh, it does. And every every month on the 14th, I I send him a text and say, congratulations, it's 25 months and, you know, whatever number of months it is. So he always gets kind of a kick out of that. But, um, that day has yeah. probably become more important than his birthday, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The 14th is just ingrained in my brain. So I never forget. Oh, it's <laughs> wonderful to celebrate that every month every day further from what you experienced. And and Mark, as you told me before we started our conversation and turned on the microphones for this episode, Mark had been a person who had struggled with drugs. You were aware of this. Yes. I mean, he's struggled for a lot of years. I think I didn't know the gravity of it for a lot of those years. Just I was married and you know, remarried to another man um, after his dad and I divorced some years back. But, um, you know, and so I was kind of living my life there. And, and, you know, I would see him all the time, but I had no idea 
quite how bad he had had gotten. And then when my uh, late husband died, um, that took kind of a toll on him, and that was probably where he turned the most to the most dangerous of the drugs, the opiates. Somebody told him, boy, this will make you feel better. And, of course, Mark being an addict already, you know, he grabbed right onto that. Yeah. And uh, so I knew that he, he had issues with that, but I, I didn't really realize how bad it was. And then finally, and that was like in an 08, and by 2010 he got married. And again, you know, I wasn't around him all the time. I still didn't really realize quite how bad things were. And uh, I think it was 2010 when he probably did his first um, uh, detox at Pine Rest. And at that point, I knew that things weren't too good. How did you find out about that bar? That one, he got um, he got pulled over, and he had some methadone with him. And so he got nailed for that. And so that was when I realized he was messing with that stuff. And so between his soon-to-be wife and myself, we um, took him over to Pine Rest. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, that was the first hope I had. But that's a long time ago, and uh, it takes a whole lot more than just that. And at the time, I didn't realize that either, I guess. I just wasn't that up on mm-hmm. on how dangerous all the stuff was. I, it wasn't something I spent a lot of time thinking about, I guess, because I wasn't as aware as as maybe I should have been, but I guess I'm glad I wasn't because that would have been a lot more years of of the difficult times. So he goes through <laughs> Pine Rest, and this is around 2010, he comes out, but relapses. How much longer after that, roughly? Well, he did that. Uh, he used that Suboxone for a while, and I think he, you know, he might have gotten, I don't know, probably a little less than a year, I would think, but he'd gotten some time in with that that he seemed to be helping. But it was a continuous up and down, up and down from there on until he and his wife split up in 2015, and he came and lived with me for a while until he was going to figure out what he was going to do, I guess. So mm-hmm. um, so I'd say from 2015 on was probably the, the worst of all of it because um, he had graduated to heroin, and I had no idea of that. And when I did find out, I kind of freaked out because, you know, I guess you think, well, you're now on to the worst thing you could possibly yeah. get on to, and... Um, so that was a little difficult to handle, but I, I, I still didn't, you know, he kind of made me think he wasn't using that too much. He, he was trying to convince you, as his mom, everything's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you confront him about it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we talked about it a lot. In fact, I used to make him pee in a bottle so I could get, yeah. so I could test it just to see what he was on because I knew he was doing, you know, taking something at different times. So he even had that figured out as drug addicts do, you know. Of course they do. And uh, so, um, so, but in, in, I think it was in 15, um, he literally overdosed in my bathroom with his son was there with me and, and within him and his little boy was, I think four, only four, but, um, he was in the bathroom for a long period of time and I just, I got worried about it and I popped, put one of those little keys in the door and popped it open. He was on the floor and he wasn't breathing. So I had to do rescue breathing with a four-year-old there and my phone is not by me. So it's kind of a fiasco to get all that together. But finally, my little one found my phone and I could call 911. Um, And of course, when they got there, they did what they do um, with the Narcan. But 
um, that was really rough. I just insisted then that you, you got to, he's got to get, you got to get help. You got to get off this stuff. You're going to kill yourself. And, um, what did he say to you <clears throat> at that point? Well, at, it wasn't until the next day because he was, he stayed at the hospital quite a while after, you know, to get all till he was back to normal or somewhat normal. Um, he was always pretty good about going in to get detox and get something. I mean, I think it's what he wanted to do, but he never had enough. It was never long enough and it was never enough counseling and everything you need to, to make that change. They were all, you know, short term things. And so then when he'd get back out, he'd stay good maybe for a little while, but he always seemed to relapse and go back to using it. And, and it was so on and off until finally in, um, I think it was in 16 that, uh, he wound up going to Pine Rest one more time for detox and then found out about Guiding Light. And uh, he did so well for the four months he was here. And um, he went through all the, the, the step, the program, the complete right. program. But then um, he moved out to Iron House, the, the sober living area, and he was there about a month. And then he came home, and on his way back, he got a hold of something. And so then that kind of ended that whole run. And mm -hmm. that was that was very devastating to me. Uh, you know, after all the time of him doing so well, and then to have him call me and tell me that he relapsed and he's getting kicked out of Iron House, it was like somebody kicking me in the gut. I can't imagine, Barb, as a parent, this is a roller coaster ride with a son who is an addict that is more frightening than any roller coaster ride you can ride in an amusement oh, park. Uh, yeah, absolutely. What was this like to go through these up and downs? I think a lot of it was difficult because I kind of kept it inside of me and I didn't involve a lot of people. I had a lot of friends. I had family. I had a couple sisters and a brother and I had never even talked to them about any of his drug issues until he overdosed. And then yeah. I felt like I got to tell him something because if he dies, they're going to wonder why I didn't, you know, let him know what was going on. I have a brother that prayed and prayed and prayed for, for him each time he was there. And, uh, prior to that, it was, it was pretty lonely. You know, it's, it, I felt really isolated because there was so few people I felt like I could comfortably talk about it to. But finally, when he went to Guiding Light, then I, you know, that's when I kind of opened up to family and friends and just let him know what was going on and what he was doing. And so then when he relapsed from that, it was like, oh, what do I do now? I have to tell him all the same, mm. you know, the story again. And, you know, it, so I just kind of, I don't know, I just kind of backed away from my letting people know what was going on. I just kind of rolled with it, you know, but yeah, it was very much a roller coaster and it was, it was very, very, uh, difficult. And, and then there was all the animosity with his ex-wife and cause they did wind up divorced. So, so then you had the ex-wife and she had as much trouble probably dealing with all of it almost as much as I did, but um, he was an ex-husband as opposed to being my son. So mm -hmm. there was a difference. And, and mm -hmm. 
So, so she kind of used me for a punching bag. I sort of took the brunt end of all of that. And I mean, I understood it because I understood how hard it was with the, with River, his son. So it wasn't like I didn't, you know, didn't get it that, you know, I knew that it was difficult for her as well. But, you know, people don't always realize the difference between, you know, what the ex-wife thinks and what the mom thinks. It's, kind of a whole different animal so yeah you were an easy target and i'm i'm so sorry that happened because it's bad enough you're dealing with a boy i don't want to have to share this again with family and friends it's a lot to bear yet what i'm hearing barb kennedy is that the beautiful thing about mark is he never stopped trying to get clean no he did not and i saw him sick so many times you know, so sick trying to get off of it by himself. And, you know, I, so when he went away to the, the short-term programs, I thought, well, you know, once he gets it out of his system, he'll probably be okay, but not. And he even told me one time, he said, I can't live without it. He said, because if I don't use it, I'm too sick. And he said, that's the biggest problem with it. He said, I don't take it to get high. I take it to keep from being sick. And it was hard for me to imagine that, but you know, because I, 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 I felt like I couldn't, like I didn't understand all of it at different times. I didn't feel like I really understood it. Couldn't put, wrap my head around it, I guess, with, mm-hmm. with what does happen with them. But as time went on and, and there was more and more of it, I began to really realize the gravity of it. And um, so it was 2019 when he, I thought he was not doing too bad. He was pretty high-functioning drug addict because, I mean, he went to work every day. He never missed work. You know, but he was just, he was using all the time. And, you know, when you don't realize he's using all that time, you think, well, he's doing all right. You know, he seems to be working and doesn't seem to mind his job and that kind of thing. But in 2019, he seemed perfectly all right one morning at his son's soccer game. And in the afternoon, he called me and he was, he had gone to Grand Rapids from Muskegon to Grand Rapids for his, his, the, the routine run that he makes for his job. And he called me, and he couldn't. He didn't know where he was. He had no idea where he was, and he he was talking all kinds of crazy stuff. And I couldn't figure out what in the world happened. Well, when he finally did get back to the store where he took the the order that he picked up, I met him up there, and I he was so. I think it's probably the most messed up I ever saw him. He could not even function. Here he drove that truck all over the place in that state. And so I took him home, and I uh, once again insisted that he go to Pine Rest, go to detox. And I told him, you've got to do something. You have to do something. There's got to be something to help you. Well, I had no idea he could go back to, to Guiding Light. That was like a gift from the good Lord when he could go back and go back to Guiding Light. I didn't know they allowed a second chance, you know. So how did that happen, that he ended up back here at Gutting Life? Well, when he was at Pine Rest, um, he, he had talked to someone who had, had gone through the program a second time, apparently. and um, Or someone there told him that, you know, he could go through it a second time. And so when he called me and he said, well, I, I really should come back home and I'll do the Suboxone route. And I insist, I said, can you go back to Guiding Light? And when he said he could go back to Guiding Light, it's just a no-brainer. You know, that's where you need to go. You did well once. You can, you know, get through it this right. time and, and, and do what you have to do. So 
when he came through the second time, he doubted himself some too, and he, he says that all the time. But I saw big changes even in the letters he wrote me in the early part of it that yeah. he was pretty insistent on making this happen, that what, he wanted to get clean and stay clean. What did he share with you that made you think this time, the second time, in recovering at Guiding Light was going to be different? Well, he talked in the letters about maybe not coming back to his old job, maybe not, you know, going back to playing hockey, which was something he loved, but, you know, everybody drank and smoked and everything else after uh, after the game. So it was kind of a, it was kind of a routine, not that he always had to be in, in on that, but the, the temptation was always there. And so he would tell me things like, you know, I may, I have to change a lot of things. I may not be able to play hockey. I might not be able to go back to my job. I don't think I can come back and live there. You know, all those different things that he would say, he never did that before on the first time. He never, he was going to go through the program. And when he got to Iron House, he continued to do his old job, which was like 75 miles one way from where he was living. And uh, so, yeah, you know, when he started talking about not going back to his job, which was working for his dad at his dad's automotive store. So he had done that for 15 years. I mean, that was his life. But if he went back to that, he would go right back into the same pattern. So when he was able to say a few different things like that, I thought, you know, that's different because he never, he's never talked about not going back to that job and not playing hockey and things like that. So I think it was um, a lot of changes that were taking place in him. It was kind of scary, but it was it was good to hear because I felt like there's something more going on with his plan here on his on getting sober. Yeah, and the, the wonderful thing about this, and I'm assuming this has probably crossed your mind a time or two, is the story of grace that happens here at Guiding Light. He was allowed a second chance. He was allowed back through the program, and today, Mark, your son, Barb Kennedy, is, what do you say, 25 months? 25 months. Sober. Yeah, Praise sober. God. And you celebrate the 14th <laughs> of every month? I do. Uh, as you should, which is wonderful. get up in the morning and wonderful. text him every 14th. <laughs> How has that changed your relationship with Well, Mark? I was always pretty close with him, but, you know, when they're using, it's... Uh, you have a lot, you get, I did anyway, and I think probably most parents would, you get so angry when you realize they're back at it again. It's like, it's just, it just crushes you to see them, you know, getting back into those, that situation. And it's like, you start to wonder if there's ever going to be, if he's ever going to be able to stay away from it. And, um, you know, I, something inside of me said, yes, he can. Yes, you can. I said it to him many times. You can do this. You can do this. I know there's something in you that you don't want to live like this. So you must, you know, you should, something should work for you. So I think that the second, the fact that they gave him a second chance, I think that he was very appreciative of that because he knew he had to do something if yeah. he was going to survive. Well, and it proves that this recovery program is different. It's unique. It's powerful. I, I, but I got to tell you, as a parent, I don't want you to downplay, Barb, the power of your encouragement to him. I can't tell you how many parents who would have done the tough love thing and walked away, not even talked to him. And that probably would have resulted in a very different outcome. 
And that is so wonderful. So I just, I want to commend you on that. I, I guess as we close, I want to ask you, for those parents listening to this conversation, this podcast, if maybe they have a son who they feel is an addict, or maybe they know they have an addict and they just feel like you did, almost hopeless at times, you never gave up, what words of wisdom would you share with them? Well, I think, um, yeah, don't ever give up. I never gave up. I just, you know, I just wasn't sure where to go or what to do. And then um, I had read something, I think, on the computer about guiding light. So I had that in the back of my mind, even the first time he went. I had kind of had it in the back of my mind that you need to check this out. And um, and so the second time, you know, it was like I kind of kind of felt like I was just so appreciative that they would take him back a second time because I had no idea that they would ever do that once they booted you out of the Iron House, you know. I mean, that was the rules. You can't be using and stay at Iron House. So, I, you know, I understood all that, but I never thought they would let him come back into the program. But, um, yeah, if anyone's looking for anything, I don't know of any other – I don't even know that there's a program anywhere in this country like this one where there's no cost to the guys. I mean, most of these guys don't have any money. They've spent it all on their drugs or alcohol or whatever. You know, it's just such a blessing to have something that they, if they really want to get clean and stay clean, that they can come here and there's no charge to them as long as they're willing to, to work hard. And I think, you know, I think the second time through, Mark just felt like, you know, I got to do it this time and I got to do what I got to do. And he said, I have to change everything. And he told me that many times. He said, I, the only thing I got to change is everything. Hmm. And he put his mind to it and now he's where he's at and I'm so thankful. But yeah, I, I uh, tell people when I, when I talk to them, if, if anybody's got a problem, I, I give them the name of the of this, you know, the website and just, you know, tell him, give him a call if he, if the, but he has to want it, Yeah, yeah. you know, and I, and Mark, I knew Mark wanted it. I knew he wanted it all the times he went away, but he just, for some reason, he just thought he could keep living the life he was living and just do it without drugs. And that just didn't happen. So, you know, he had to make a lot of changes. This has been such an honor. Thank you. Thank you for having me. To hear this. To hear the joy in your voice today and to know that Mark is one of the many men who've come through these doors here at Guiding Light seeking help, like you said, help for a program that is life-changing. That's maybe unlike any other recovery program in the country. And most importantly, thanks to the compassion of the donors, many of you listening to this podcast, we are able to help men like Mark turn their lives around. Help them see the light. That's why we call this podcast series Casting Light. That light did not go dark on Mark. It shined again, and by the grace of God, 25 months sober. And most importantly, I'd just like to ask you to make sure you take a moment to learn more about Guiding Light and the recovery program here, or just make a donation. Say, you know what, hearing Barb share the story of her son was enough Hook, line, and sinker, I'm in. GuidingLightWorks.org to make a secure donation or to learn more about the powerful programs of rescue, recovery, and re-engagement. GuidingLightWorks.org. Or you can simply call 616-451-0236. 
Thank you for allowing us to share this powerful story with you. Thank you to Barb Kennedy, Mark's mom. What a joy to hear the story. I am Phil Tower. This has been Casting Light, a podcast series from Cutting Light.